0: Binge eating already in and of itself is highly chaotic, so adding in advice that is not structured that also is pretty chaotic into the puzzle here is a recipe for disaster to say the least. Welcome to Behind the Binge, the podcast where we bring forth much-needed conversations about binge eating recovery and ditching diet culture. I'm your host, Marissa kai a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and binge eating coach. This is our space to dive into practical tips to heal from binge eating, challenge your diet culture beliefs, discuss the nuances of intuitive eating, and empower you to recover. Let's start exploring what's behind the binge. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Binge podcast. It's your host, Marissa. What sparked today's conversation was actually a discovery call that I had yesterday. For those that don't know, a discovery call essentially is a call that we can hop on if you're interested in private coaching or the academy to make sure that you're the right fit for the program. Those who apply to my programs, whether it's private coaching or group coaching, generally get an email or a DM from me asking if they want to set up a call if I feel like they're a good fit. That way we can both chat, I can get to know them more, they can get to know me more, and we can really make sure that working together would be the best steps for both of us moving forward. If you hear my dog in the background, she's like stretching, getting comfortable, probably gonna be snoring here in a little bit. She's just hanging out for the day. So on that discovery call, she was sharing with me what felt like it hasn't worked for her in the past in her binge eating recovery journey. And what that was, was this idea that binge eating recovery comes from eating what you want, when you want, right? Having that unconditional permission to eat but there's a lot of misconceptions around what unconditional permission to eat means. So I'll link some of my blog posts and previous podcast episodes about unconditional permission to eat below. However, what this client has previously been told is that any sort of structure on her journey to heal her relationship with food is restrictive and that in order to heal she just needs to keep listening to her cravings and eating whatever whenever she wants well i'm here to tell you that my jaw almost hit the floor when she told me this because this is absolutely not true and this type of advice could lead someone who struggles with binge eating to get stuck in an even deeper binge spiral binge eating already in and of itself is highly chaotic so adding in advice that is not structured, that also is pretty chaotic into the puzzle here is a recipe for disaster to say the least. Some consider this approach of just going for eating whatever you want when you want all in. And while going all in is an approach to binge eating recovery, I'd say for the majority of my clients, I would not recommend the all in approach because like I said, it's kind of a highly chaotic uncertain approach to recovery. It takes a really specific kind of person with a really specific vision and understanding of recovery to be able to do all in in an appropriate non-damaging way. But a majority of my clients have been burned by trying to do this all-in type method and they're seeking more structure but have been told or made to believe that more structure would keep them stuck in the binge eating cycle. This is not true. Structure in binge eating recovery is not inherently restrictive. Structure tends to decrease overwhelm. And structure actually allows you to address specific needs along the way. A binge is a sign of a need not being met, whether that's a physical need, a mental need, an emotional need, a safety need. And so along the way in binge eating recovery, we implement structure in order to address in an informed way those specific needs. So for example, if one of the needs that is not being met for a client is just generally not eating enough, then we will implement structured eating patterns to support eating enough. If they weren't eating enough before, just telling them to eat more and eat when they want to is not necessarily going to meet that need. There's a reason why eating enough was difficult in the past, and so just saying eat more, I mean, honestly, it's dangerous. So here's what I want to get into when it comes to debunking this idea that binge eating requires Recovery is just about eating whatever, whenever. I wanna share with you where I start with clients, how we get from binge eating to actually creating structure for a long-term binge freedom. I wanna answer the question, why plan? Where is planning and structure helpful? And also maybe where it's not so helpful. I'll give you some examples of what planning might look like in recovery. I wanna share a bit about how I actually teach structure to my dietitians in my Behind the Binge mentorship group so that they can better support their clients. And lastly, I'll talk about how intuitive eating absolutely includes structure. I myself have a lot of structure when it comes to my eating and I'm still an intuitive eater. So let's let's get into it. So the very first thing I do with all of my clients in our first session together, is set goals. Obviously, we have to have something we're working towards. However, just setting those really broad long-term goals can add to the overwhelm and uncertainty. Something like I want to stop binge eating is obviously a fantastic goal, but that's definitely a long-term goal. In my work, we seek to go behind the binge, make shorter, more tangible goals to get us to that eventual goal of stopping the binges. It just makes recovery is so much clearer because you know what you're working towards and it's a lot more approachable when it's not so broad to just stop binge eating. Yeah, if having the goal of stopping binge eating was all it took, then I probably wouldn't have a job. So we first start with those big, broad goals. Why are you here? What is it that you wanna get out of working together? Then we break them down into shorter term goals. From there, we identify the biggest barriers keeping them from those shorter term goals. So, if the big long-term goal is to stop binge eating their short-term goal might be to stop stressing and obsessing over fear foods or to stop feeling out of control with a specific food like peanut butter and the biggest barrier that's keeping them stuck feeling out of control with peanut butter might be the judgment and the mental roadblocks around having peanut butter as part of their life so now we will start addressing that barrier of peanut butter feeling off-limits, forbidden, like a bad food with strategies, curiosity, and planning. So why would we plan when it comes to breaking the food rule of eating peanut butter? Well, I just said, eat the peanut butter when you want it, whenever you want it. Well, yes, that is a strategy we could take, having a plan can decrease the chaotic nature of just that strategy alone. So a strategy for this might look like, hey, let's introduce peanut butter in a planned consistent way. So that way you start to recognize, hey, peanut butter is predictable It's not all or nothing, now or never, it's now or later, it's now and tomorrow because I know I'm going to be having it with my lunch every day this week. And that predictability, that regularity of eating your fear foods starts to normalize the fear food, starts to habituate it in a way where it starts to feel a lot less off limits. Along the way, part of that strategy is addressing the mindset barriers of eating the peanut butter with lunch every day. Hey, when you ate it today, What thoughts came up before, during, and after having the peanut butter? Was there judgment? Were you should in yourself of, I should have something different or I shouldn't eat that much? Then we take those mindset blocks and rework them together in session. So we have the strategy of normalizing the food by eating it consistently. We're planning it by, hey, you're gonna have peanut butter with your lunch every day this week. And we implement curiosity of let's see what comes up for you as you're eating the peanut butter and adjust the plan as needed i've introduced a strategy like this with clients before and we pumped the brakes really quickly because the mindset factors around the peanut butter were still too distressing to where introducing this fear food was just too much right out the gate and so we took a step back we thought okay what other barriers are here that are a little bit more approachable and let's make that goal of not obsessing and stressing and binging on peanut butter, a little bit of a later eventual goal. Let's start with something a little gentler right now, a little easier. The eventual goal also might be so that you can eat peanut butter whenever you want, but right now saying, hey, have peanut butter around, just eat it whenever you want, is likely going to end in a binge. And while binging is part of binge eating recovery, we wanna try to mitigate the chances of a binge as often as possible because binge eating is not fun. Also, when we get curious to why the binges are happening in the first place, this planning and strategy is really just about taking informed action to meet our body's needs without needing a binge to do so. I hope that makes sense. Essentially, if a binge is a way your body is seeking to get a need met, if we can meet that need proactively, then the idea is the binge won't need to happen because there's not the need not being met anymore. How many times can I say need being met, need not being met? Needs, needs and needs and needs and needs. So I just gave you one example of what planning might look like when it comes to overcoming those biggest barriers to those short-term goals that will get us to those eventual long-term goals. But let me give you some other ideas. Planning might look like meal timing. I'm getting distracted by the chickens next door. I have chickens next door at my neighbor's house and they're kind of distracting me right now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So planning might look like mealtime planning, planning actual times in which you are going to eat or how long you're going to go between your meals. This is not the restrictive timing of your meals like intermittent fasting. We are timing the meals in an informed way, to cultivate that trust back with your body. When you are dieting, let's say you did intermittent fasting and you were hungry at 9am, but you're like, well, my window doesn't start until 11am. You are ignoring your body's hunger signal that tells you that you need more food and showing your body that you are not a reliable source to meet its food needs. So, the hunger gets suppressed and comes back with a vengeance. And when you finally eat around 11 a.m., you are starving or it hits you later in the day and you get that ravenous late night munchies. So if that's been your pattern for a long time, you can't one day just wake up and say, you know what, I'm done intermittent fasting. I'm just gonna listen to my body. Well, what your body has heard for however long you did intermittent fasting is that you're not trustworthy or reliable. Food is scarce. Food is limited within the windows that we allow ourselves to eat. So all of a sudden, we're not going to get back reliable, consistent hunger fullness signals because all of a sudden, our body's not going to know that we are reliable and consistent with meeting our body's needs. So we have to show our body Food's not going anywhere we are going to meet our needs proactively and show up for our body so we can be seen as a reliable and trustworthy source of eating enough food again it's like our mind and our body are connected but biologically there are primal driving forces to getting certain needs met that can't be overridden by our brain they play a uh, roles together they they intermingle but we can't just say, hey, my primal biological need for safety and security, security with food should just be put at bay and, and feel safe and secure with food again, just because mentally I am rejecting diet culture. It's not exactly how it works, although I wish it were that easy. We have to actually show our body that it can trust us. And I guess you could say it's similar to when you are building back trust with a friend or a partner that maybe you've burnt some trust with can't just say, hey, you can trust me, I'm sorry. Actions speak louder than words, and the same goes for healing your relationship with food. So meal timing is a planning strategy that is done with the intention of building back trust and reliability with your body and with your mind. So majority of my clients, we start with don't go longer than three to four hours without eating. Is this restrictive? No, it's actually kind of the opposite of restriction because I'm trying to encourage my clients to eat with more abundance, with more usually what I call enoughness, eating enough. <laughs> but really, it all comes down to that intention and The goal is to meet our body's needs ultimately. And so it's taking informed action. Bouncing off of the planning of meal timing is of course meal planning, literally. We are busy humans. And whether you're in binge eating recovery or not, meal planning can be a fantastic tool to be able to meet your body's needs. Yes, even as an intuitive eater. Because believe it or not, intuitive eating is not just eating on impulse. I actually have an entire recorded masterclass on the difference between intuitive eating versus eating on impulse. I will link it in the show notes, but meal planning, if it allows you to better listen to your body by having food available and ready for you to meet your body's needs, can not only support your recovery and building back that trust and reliability with your your body, but it also allows you to listen to your body as you ease more into that phase of recovery where you do have trust and reliability, you're getting reliable hunger fullness signals and you can listen to that. I talk about meal planning a lot when it comes to working with clients with ADHD or autism. I myself have ADHD, but for me, if I don't have meals planned, even just the ideas of meals available to me, I will just either completely forget to eat which honestly i'm amazed by considering i used to constantly think about food and what was next to eat because of my disordered relationship with food in the past but nowadays that i have a trusting and healthy relationship with food yes i sometimes forget to eat especially with adhd but on top of that I can get decision fatigue really easily to where I will delay eating for so long because I'm considering all the options of what I could eat, what's gonna take the least amount of effort, what's gonna take more effort, what sounds good, what doesn't sound good, to where I'm I'm not even actually listening to my body because I'm so overwhelmed by the choices. So not having anything prepped for me actually keeps me from being able to fully listen to my body because my mind a little bit gets in the way there. Start overthinking my choices. I want something that's convenient, quick, but tasty, maybe a little nutritious. it's just a lot. So week to week, I try my best to meal plan. That doesn't always mean meal prepping. But I know, hey, this week, here are my options for my lunches. This week, here are the meals that I'm planning to make for dinner. This week, here's what I have on hand for for breakfast and snacks. And it's structured. Similarly, when you're recovering from an eating disorder, having that meal planned decreases the overthinking decreases the food police sneaking back in and trying to tell you what you should or shouldn't have instead and can aid in normalizing your fear foods because it's planned it's set you're not thinking about it it's just what you're going to do the options can sometimes allow the diet culture mentality to creep back in trying to convince you that no you actually want the salad you don't really want the quesadilla when we really need to be working on you eating the quesadilla enjoying it and moving on I'd say for 50% of my clients we do the really highly structured meal planning where I'm like this is what you're having for lunch this is what you're having for dinner and then for the other 50% it's semi-structured where maybe we have options sort of like a menu and we're incorporating fear foods along the way. Kind of a subcategory of meal planning would be meal prepping, and for all of the same reasons, meal prepping can be part of the structure that goes into play when you are healing your relationship with food and beyond. Outside of the planned direct behaviors with food, right, of when you're eating, what you're eating, how often you're eating, etc., cetera, would be the plan and structure around learning and trial and error. So what I mean by this is when my clients are ready to begin tuning in to their hunger fullness signals as sort of the primary source of telling them when or what they need, we will work on logging hunger fullness signals. What that looks like is before they eat, they'll say, okay, on a scale from one to five, how hungry am I? And then after they eat, they'll say, okay, on a scale from 6 to 10, how full am I? Technically, that adds a mental component to the structure and the ways in which you're eating. You're not just eating and moving on, that's the ultimate goal, but at the beginning stages of recovering from an eating disorder or even just if you're gently moving into intuitive eating, there is a lot of trial and error, a lot of curiosity, a lot of reflection and learning as you go in order for you to be able to unlearn what you've maybe learned from diet culture what people say you should or shouldn't be eating or how much you should or shouldn't be eating and better learn how to just attune to your own body's needs. So we implement the structure of journaling, hunger-fullness cues as often as possible and then having reflection after to figure out what would I do differently next time, which means adjusting your future actions. Again, another example of how intuitive eating and listening to your body is not just about the impulse. It's also about what you've done in the past, what your takeaways were from those experiences so that you can apply what you've learned to your future self, Better meet your body's needs moving forward. Coming from those hungerfulness reflections and journaling about that comes adjustment of the plan. So if we've been doing something that we recognize through the hungerfulness scale, it's not really honoring their body. We will make tweaks as we go. Maybe my client's been eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner at a certain time, but they find that always right before dinner, they are more hungry than earlier times of the day. We may adjust hey, what would it look like to eat dinner a little earlier, or have an appetizer or a late afternoon snack? See what that does to your hungerfulness signals. And we will plan to have that snack as an experiment let's see what changes on that day want you to reflect on the difference between the day you have that afternoon snack versus the day that you don't so we're not just throwing spaghetti at a wall we're actually doing things with structure and with planning but with the intention of learning so that you can better listen to your body overall in the future. Still on a day-to-day basis for myself, I do a lot of internal reflecting of how did this make me feel? Oh, hey, I've been in this kind of habit of munching in the afternoon instead of having a real lunch. How is that making me feel? I might recognize, hey, the way I've been eating is not giving me the energy or stamina to sustain my afternoon motivation. So what would I do differently tomorrow? What do I wanna do differently moving into next week and adjusting from there, which for myself usually includes a lot of planning. (laughs) Furthermore, outside of food behaviors, binge eating has a highly psychological and emotional component. While we cannot meet our emotional needs, if our physical needs are not being met, we cannot put talking about emotional eating or emotional coping strategies on the back burner. So what I mean by this is that obviously we've all experienced hanger. If we are hungry, it is difficult to regulate our emotions. So if we have hanger and we're trying to cope with that anger by going for a walk, meditating, etc., it's not really going to work. It's just going to exacerbate the hunger and maybe bring up some other emotions. Similarly, if we're really, really stressed and we get home and we eat, we wanna take a look at, hey, are we really, really stressed and hungry to where we do need food to complement, to supplement the way in which we move forward in coping with our stress. So they definitely go hand in hand, which is why a lot of the times you hear me putting so much emphasis on eating enough breaking food rules and really talking about the food component as a whole but when it comes to the structure in binge eating recovery that i work on with my clients both in private coaching and in group coaching we talk about coping strategies when it comes to emotional eating and moving on after a binge one of my clients from the last cohort of my group coaching program behind the binge academy also had ADHD and said that anytime she was in an emotional state, specifically when she was feeling lonely or bored, her first instinct was to go to food, whether or not she was actually hungry, whether or not she had just eaten. So we started to implement a plan for when she would get that instinct to eat. How does she recognize, hey, this is actually boredom? How does she do something that's going to stimulate her enough, similarly to the way food is stimulating without feeling restrictive? My voice just cracked. And that took a lot of trial and error, but it started with a plan. Hey, next time you feel that way, this is what you're going to do instead. End of the conversation, that's what you're going to do." She would practice that and then she would come back to me with reflection or with a win or with something that was a little challenging about it so we could adjust it and go from there. But all along the way of having this plan around how she can cope with her loneliness and boredom was a lot of curiosity, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of structure. So it's just really me nailing in the point that structure and planning is not just an important part of binge eating recovery. It's a necessary part of binge eating recovery. So this idea that any structure or any planning to your recovery would be a burden to your recovery, is it, it kind of makes me angry. It's, it's really not something that I would recommend anybody to do. Another binge eating or emotional eating strategy you may have heard me talk about on this podcast before or some of my past webinars is to set a timer when you get the urge to binge, do something else, and then revisit how you're feeling when the timer goes off. Without that strategy, without that structure, that plan of, hey, next time you have that urge, set the timer and then reassess, one might just give in to that urge without really learning or assessing how they're feeling or what they're needing. Is the answer food? It might be. Food might be what they're needing when that urge to binge comes on. But when we just initially act on that always so impulsively, it doesn't give us a moment to pause and really learn about what's going on so we can best meet our needs with the actions we do following that urge. If you have downloaded, I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot of different resources at you throughout this episode today, but if you've downloaded my binge freedom cheat sheet, you will find that a lot of the ideas on there that are related to what to do before, during, or after a binge have structure to them, are highly structured. And so maybe take a look at that and look at the ways in which adding some structure to your recovery plan might support meeting your body's needs and stopping the binge eating cycle long-term. You might be now wondering, Marissa, where's the line between a structured approach to binge recovery and structure in intuitive eating and dieting and just following a bunch of rules? Great question. The way I teach this to the professionals who are in my Behind the Binge mentorship group, I talk about moving from a highly structured approach to a more flexible approach. So it goes from highly structured, which might be really specific meal timing, really specific meal planning, to a semi-structured approach where there's some flexibility in that. There's more options. There's more attunement to the body's signals. Trust and reliability is coming back. So there's a lot more curiosity in acting on the signals from our body and our brain rather than just on a meal plan in and of itself. Although the meal plan and structure can still be a supplement to that work. And then lastly, moving into the flexible phase where structure is there when it's needed, but it is not a priority, nor is it always necessary. Say for a lot of people, a little structure is simply about being human and having a plan and staying on time and doing the things that best support you but it is not so rigid and there's a lot of flexibility without there being panic or overwhelm when the plan has to go out the window. And let me note, for some people, they will stay in the semi-structured phase forever. It all comes back to the individual, their needs, both physically and mentally. So for someone with ADHD, They may need to always stay semi-structured. And so if someone you're working with is not considering your unique individual needs, where they consider your mental health, your job, your career, et cetera, et cetera, then they're not actually applying recovery and intuitive eating to you as a unique individual. They're applying it to you as rules. And like it's one size fits all, which it's not. Even when I'm teaching in a group coaching setting where that is a highly structured sort of setup where I'm teaching every single week on a specific topic, I'm giving specific action steps to a group of people, it is never preached as a one-size-fits-all thing. I say at the very beginning of my group coaching program that, hey, if something I'm recommending to you doesn't work... Bring it to my attention that's also why at the end of every single call there is time for q a and hot seat coaching so we can tweak what it is that we're working on to fit your individual unique needs like somebody who quit dieting a year ago but still has some binging tendencies is going to have a very different approach to becoming an intuitive eater than somebody who just quit dieting yesterday and is binging almost every single day. We can't try to tell everybody across the spectrum of their recovery to just eat what they want when they want and they'll figure it out. That is just like literally throwing someone off the deep end of a pool who has never swam before and saying swim or sink like it's really up to you. That can evoke so much shame and overwhelm and Really, if you do come to the surface and you crawl out of the pool, you may find yourself saying, I'm never going near a body of water again. I'm never learning to swim and I can't do it. When in reality, that's not how you learn to swim. That's traumatic and dangerous and not helpful. It's harmful. And that's all about an analogy of binge eating recovery. I used to be a swim teacher actually, and we never just threw the kids off the deep end. So anyway, I digress. So yes, we are moving from structure, a highly structured approach, to a semi-structured approach and then to a flexible approach to living life as an intuitive eater. And also your life is going to continue to change and evolve. So your plan or approach to the ways in which you set yourself up to be able to nourish your body and listen to your body and do the things that are going to make you feel your best are going to be ever-changing. So nothing is ever going to be black and white and your recovery should not look black and white either. There's a lot of gray, there's a lot of nuance, which is why working with a professional can be really helpful. But we definitely want to make sure the professional you're working with is highly trained in this because clearly there are some professionals out there who are spreading misinformation and honestly harming their clients, which if this is you, if you've ever been the coach or the nutritionist, the dietitian, whatever, to tell your client, hey, just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, or just eat whatever you want, when you want, follow all of your cravings and you'll figure it out. It's normal to feel shame that, hey, you may have done some harm here. We all do harm in this field. It is pretty much unavoidable because we're all very different. And so thus, we may say things, do things or recommend things that are causing harm And all we can do when we recognize, hey, we're doing this as a professional, is seek support and education and and really supervision from someone else to be able to better address those problems in the future. So if you're recognizing, oh, I really don't know what to do when it comes to just helping someone become an intuitive eater other than telling them, to listen to their body or eat whatever they want, then you may want to sign up for my Behind the Binge mentorship group that is currently enrolling. Again, I'll leave all that in the show notes below. All right. I think that covers everything. The last thing I had in my notes was intuitive eating with structure, but I feel like I covered that. Intuitive eating with structure might look like meal planning, right? Because I have ADHD and if I don't meal plan, I will forget to eat or not eat because I just don't want to cook. Um, Intuitive eating with structure might also be about you work shift work or you're a night nurse and you need to have structure in order to meet your body's needs and not end up clocking out and being starving because you've just been so busy with work that you didn't even have a chance to eat. It also might mean Specifically planning when you're going to have the larger meals in your day versus the smaller meals in your day because let's say you don't really get a break at work, which is really unethical, but I know happens especially a lot in healthcare professions. If that's the case, you might say, hey, I'm going to front load before this surgery that I'm going into that I'm going to be assisting on for eight hours. I'm going to have a Soylent drink. That's like a, a nutritional drink, a nutritional shake of sorts, just to give my body energy and calories to get through these eight hours. And then I'll have a meal afterwards, etc. So there's always going to be planning coming into play. And I just want to remind you that intuitive eating is not just eating on impulse, it is a combination, it's a dynamic interplay between feeling instinct and rational thoughts. That's a modified quote from the Intuitive Eating book. Uh, I don't think I'm saying it word for word, but it is not just about, oh, I have this instinct. Oh, I have this impulse. I'm going to follow that. You have to put into play How do I feel? What are social cues? What are health-promoting behaviors? What are my health values? Where am I at in my recovery? Making rational thoughts of, hey, my body doesn't have reliable hunger fullness signals, so I can't just listen to those instincts. I have to have this meal structure and plan in order to kind of act as a crutch to my healing journey, etc. All right, I've clearly been rambling about this for way too long. This was a long solo episode, at least From my understanding, it's like 30 minutes now, which I feel like I normally make my solo episodes like 12. But thank you all so much for listening. I hope this gave you some clarity if you've ever been misled on your food freedom journey to feel as though if you're not just eating what you want when you want, then you're doing it wrong. I actually think if you're just eating what you want when you want without consideration of other factors, then you're quote unquote doing it wrong. Although I don't even like saying if someone's doing it right or wrong because It's all an individual journey, but if you feel good doing what you're doing, whatever that is, that's the right way to do it, right? Some people do take more of that unstructured, all-in approach, and that works best for them, and I love that for them, and I would never tell you not to do that if that aligns with what is working best for you, totally. I know Stephanie Buttermore on YouTube documented her entire all-in journey, and that worked really well for her. And so that is an approach that obviously works well for people, but if you've seen that approach or heard of that approach or you're working with a dietitian or a coach who's telling you to sort of go all in and break all your food rules all at once and eat by just listening to what you want when you want, and that is overwhelming and freaking you out and just making you binge more than ever, just know that that's not the only approach to recovery and a structured approach that has more planning to it is and can be absolutely the thing that you need in order to find full food freedom for you. All right. Thanks y'all so much for listening. I hope you are doing well this spring. I know I haven't uploaded an episode in a hot minute, but there's been a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. One of which is we are currently enrolling for the spring cohort of Behind the Binge Academy, my signature group coaching program. It's gotten some tweaks, it's gotten some updates, and I'm very excited about it. So I would love to support you on your journey to healing your relationship with food. If you're interested, you can apply. I will put the link in the show notes below or you can find it all on behindthebinge.com once you apply if i feel like you would be a great fit for the academy we will set up a call to discuss your struggles, your goals, and you can ask me any questions about the program as well. So I'd love to hop on this free call with you to make sure you'd be a great fit for the academy. If you're even the slightest bit interested in a group coaching program like this, I would love if you would just apply and we can make sure that we are guiding you towards your best next step for food freedom. I always say Behind the Binge Academy is like my bread and butter because I do really, really love it and I'd love for you to be a part of it. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you all liked it. If you did, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me out. I wanna get this podcast out there to as many people as possible and the reviews help me do so. So if you like it, don't forget to leave a review and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye everyone.